If you want to open up at Matthew chapter 8, Matthew chapter 8. Now, as I said, our pastor Sam is sick today, and we are meant to be starting a new series in Ruth in the Old Testament, but that will start next week. So if you're maybe wondering where we're going to go over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be in Ruth in the Old Testament. But for today, we're going to consider Matthew chapter 8 and verse 23 in just a moment. Just while you're turning there, let's talk about the sea, the ocean. You see... The ocean calls most of us. If we don't want to be in it, we definitely want to be beside it. But its lure, its beauty, its attraction, really disguises its reality, doesn't it? And this only occurred to me once in the, in the Indian Ocean when I was snorkeling. I thought it was a good time until I actually saw what was beneath me. Sharp, mega sharp rocks, and even worse than that, huge, crazy looking fish. Now I think the congregation are starting to know me a little bit. I'm scared of everything. I'm scared of birds. I'm scared of, I'm scared of mice. I'm scared of snakes. So I'm getting in water here. I'm liking it. And then I see these fish-like creatures. I'm straight out of the water. <laughs> but it's true, isn't it? All of us want to be near the sea, but... It's lure disguises its terrifying reality. If you do a Google search about the sea, you can find 30 reasons why the sea is scarier than space. 30 reasons why the sea is scarier than space. Let me give you just three. Number one, tsunamis. Tsunamis. I remember having nightmares after seeing the images of the 2004 Indian um, Ocean tsunami killing 227,898 people. Number two, sharks. Full stop. And number three, we're constantly discovering terrifying new creatures in the sea. For example, the giant squid, once considered a folktale by many, until scientists discovered this 43-foot monster just there in the sea. And it's great that Frankfurt isn't near the sea, isn't it? <laughs> and you may be thinking, well, Alex, why do you mention all of this? And it's not to make you reconsider your destination for next year. Rather, it's to reaffirm what the Bible already teaches, that the sea strikes fear into the hearts of men because it's untamable and unknown. We thought about this a little last week, didn't we? In the book of Revelation, in Revelation chapter 13, the, the, the beast comes out of the sea. And then in Revelation 21, the new heaven is described as having no sea, which I was saying last week, and I think, I think it's not literal, but it's symbolic, saying the heaven is a safe place with no more disorder, danger, or death. You see, throughout the Bible, the sea is described as dangerous and deadly. It's chaotic, and it cannot be controlled by man. And yet, at the same time, the Bible presents another truth. That God alone stands above the sea. That God alone rules the sea. Why? Because he created it. Let me encourage you to bear that in mind as we read and work through the account of Jesus calming the sea 
in Matthew chapter 8. So Matthew chapter 8, beginning at verse 23. And when Jesus got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves, but he was asleep. And they went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then Jesus rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this, that even winds and sea obey him? And we'll finish our reading there. Well, Matthew 8 has been describing a journey, um, sorry, a day in the life of Jesus. After a busy day, looking after the sick and, and casting out demons, Jesus told his disciples that, that, that they were leaving the crowds behind and they were going to take the boat to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Now this journey was between one to two hours normally. So Jesus, like any of us would, took the opportunity to rest. He had a really busy day, so Jesus went down into the stern of the boat. He lay down in a pillow and he fell fast asleep. The disciples, however, well, they remained on deck. I can imagine the disciples talking as, as Jesus slept underneath. Peter probably describing how Jesus had, 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 had healed his mother-in-law that very morning. I can imagine James and John, experienced fishermen, probably walking around the boat, just making sure that everything's okay, touching the seals, checking overboard, making sure that everything is going just as planned. Suddenly, we are told, a great storm struck the Sea of Galilee. Now, sea storms were and still are a common occurrence on the Sea of Galilee because winds rush down the surrounding hills and they quickly form a storm at sea. But this sea, according, uh, this storm, according to Matthew, was a lot different. In fact, Matthew tells us two interesting details about the storm that they encountered that day. Number one, the storm was unexpected. The storm was unexpected. Verse 24 begins, and behold, suddenly. Now I've already said we know at least that, that there were four experienced fishermen on board. That means that they knew the riptides and they knew the conditions. They had probably sailed there and fished there before. And it also means that they gave the all clear for the, for the, for the, for the trip that particular day. They thought that the relatively quick journey would go unhindered that day. But as they were sailing along, a storm struck unexpectedly. Maybe the seals started to flutter in the wind. Maybe a big wave crashed against the side of the boat, knocking Peter off balance and telling him to be quiet as normal. Whatever happened, this storm on this particular day took the disciples by surprise. But, it must be said, it didn't take Jesus by surprise. We'll see this just a little bit later, how Jesus knew exactly what would happen during the sailing that day. Not only was the storm unexpected, but the storm was also intense. Have a look again at verse 24 with me. Matthew says, And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves. 
The word used here to describe the storm is the word seismos. It's familiar to us because it, 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 it's a word used to describe um, earthquakes. And across Matthew's gospel, it's always used to describe an earthquake. Matthew chapter 28, verse 2, when Jesus rose from the dead, there was a great earthquake, seismos, at the tomb. And yet this is how Matthew describes this storm. It was a seismos, not because an earthquake occurred, but because this storm was, was, was so powerful, so fierce, so intense, that the boat was shaking like a building in an earthquake. Have you ever saw those clips on, on the internet of those um, 100 meter tall cruise ships going along the ocean, sailing? And then a storm suddenly comes, waves rising above these hundred meter tall cruise ships, tossing the boat back and forth like a rag doll. It's truly terrifying. And that's the, that, that's, that's the picture painted in Matthew chapter 8. But instead of a hundred meter tall cruise ship, this is a small wooden sailing boat. This was an intense storm. And let me make it clear this morning, in case you're, you're sitting there thinking, well, is, it, is this really a real storm? Our, our, our passage describes a physical storm. It's a powerful display of nature. And yet, so often in our lives, we talk about difficulties using the language of storms, don't we? Back in the UK, there's, a, there's a, a, an organization known as the Boys' Brigade. We used to sing in the Boys' Brigade, will your anchor hold in the storms of life? Not physical storms, but metaphorical storms. Storms that we go through. God says in the Old Testament through the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah 43 verse 2, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you, and through the rivers, they will not overwhelm you. Descriptions of the various trials that we face as God's people. And like this physical storm on the Lake of Galilee, the storms of life are also unexpected and intense. You know this, don't you? Your life is going well until you're taken into hospital to leave forever changed. Unexpected. As you go about your normal day, you get a call to be told of an unexpected bereavement. Sometimes they're intense. It was a close family member. While scrolling down Facebook, you discover a scandal that hits too close to home. Completely took you off guard. After perhaps a relaxing season in life, you suddenly hear news that interrupts all of your plans and dreams as, a, as an individual, as a family, and even as a church. What's your natural reaction when you face such an unexpected and intense storm? Well, if we're honest, if I'm honest, we become afraid and we start to panic, don't we? And that was the same for the disciples here in Matthew 8. 
Because after Matthew described the storm they encountered, he begins to describe the fear that they experienced that day. You see, instead of continuing to talk about his mother-in-law, who Jesus healed that morning, I can imagine Peter probably thinking that he may never see her again. Remember, there were at least four experienced sailors on board who knew the conditions, they knew the currents, and they had been through storms before. And yet, the text tells us that they all experienced fear. In fact, in their fear, these fishermen turned to a carpenter's son, asking him to help. They cried out in verse 25, Lord, save us, we're going to drown. The fear experienced by the, the, the followers of Jesus is an, an intensified in Matthew 8 when, when contrasted with the, with the peaceful sleep that, that Jesus was experiencing. What did they go? Sorry, what did they do? They went down into the stern and they had to wake Jesus up first. What proof of his humanity? He was exhausted like any of us would be after such a busy day of ministry. So he was fast asleep. He was so tired that even this intense storm couldn't wake him. But the disciples in fear shouted him and begged him to save them before they drown. They're truly terrified. Mark in his account tells us that, 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 that the followers of Jesus even went one step further saying, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Not only did they question his ability, but they also questioned his love. Do you not care, Jesus? What a dreadful thing to say to Jesus. Of course he cared. The very reason that Jesus took on flesh and entered into our world was because he cared so much. Jesus was born to die on a cross in the place of sinners and to rescue his people from eternal punishment. Of course he cared. He's been showing it throughout his ministry to them as well. And yet the fear the disciples experienced blinded them to the truth. And that's what fear does after all. Fear is false evidence appearing real. It disorientates us. It disables our senses. It distorts reality. Fear even questions the creator. And again, I'm not preaching to the crowd. You all know this. I know this. Because when an unexpected storm arrives in our lives, we often question God. We begin to reason in our head that I didn't deserve this. We turn to Google and not to God. We ask wiser people why this may have happened. We worry about what our family will suffer in the weeks and months that lie ahead. Like the disciples in this passage, we too experience fear, terrifying terror in the midst of the storm. Now the Bible doesn't deny our fear, but it does question this response as followers of Jesus. Clearly fear is a natural response for all of us because repeatedly we read in the Bible, do not fear, do not fear, do not fear. If it wasn't natural, God wouldn't tell us that so many times. But the question arises, if we as Christians, new creations in Christ, should react this way. Well, listen to Jesus' words. Not my words. 
the Savior's words in verse 26. He says to the disciples, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? I wonder if you noticed the order of the text. Before Jesus rebukes the raging sea, he rebukes his disciples. He tells them that the, that the fear and panic that they have need to be replaced with faith and peace. And that brings us to our third point this morning. The, the faith expected. The faith expected. You see, Jesus expected his disciples to have more faith. He doesn't question the presence of their faith. Rather, he questions the quality of their faith. It was weak. It was small. And Jesus wants his disciples to choose faith instead of fear. And before we notice this in the text, let me ask you again, rhetorically, what is faith? You said the catechism over the past two weeks, we've been talking today about the nine faith, and last week about, about the verb faith. Well, what is faith? Well, in Christianity, as we thought about last week, faith is not wishful thinking. It's not blind. Rather, faith is complete trust in God. We're told in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for, and assurance about what we do not see. Faith is complete trust in God's person and in God's promises as revealed in the Bible and finally through his son Jesus. Let me say that again. Faith is complete trust in God's person and in God's promises as revealed in the Bible and finally through his son, Jesus. And in Matthew chapter 8, we see this illustrated because the disciples are rebuked by Jesus for their lack of faith. And we may be saying, well, well, Alex, that's not fair. Matthew, that's not fair because they couldn't trust anything because they are in the storm. But faith, you see, is best tried in the midst of a storm because it's in the midst of a storm, physical and metaphorical, that everything we hold on to is stripped away. It's taken from us. We can't cling to anything else. We can't turn anywhere else. We can't see anything. All we can do is trust. Trust what, though? Trust God's word, his promises, and trust God's character his person. We are to exercise faith in his word. We see this in the text. Before the storm even came, Jesus had assured his disciples that that everything was going to be okay. Have a look at verse 18 of Matthew 8. I think it should be on the board. Yeah, there we are. It's on the board behind me. After the busyness of the day, we're told, and when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to go over to the other side. Mark and Luke are very emphatic about it, saying that that Jesus told his disciples, let us go across to the other side. So here Jesus is giving an indirect promise to the disciples. He told them that they will go to the other side, and therefore they will reach the other side. And yet fear temporarily erased the disciples' memories, and they didn't recall Jesus' words. So Jesus says to them, remember, as the storm is howling around them, O you of little faith. Do you see that in the text? 
Jesus had assured his disciples that they were that they were going to the other side, so the disciples should have trusted his word even in the midst of a storm. And what a challenging truth that is for us today. You see, the circumstances around us may 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 try to temporarily erase Jesus' words from our minds. But our faith must drive out all fear. Don Carson, an American scholar and theologian, says, Faith chases out fear, and fear chases out faith. Let that sink in. Faith chases out fear, and fear chases out faith. What's chasing what in your life? Christians, we must hold firm to the promises of God as revealed in the Bible. And this calls for, for continual uh, memorization of God's word before, during, and after storms. Because it's only by knowing God's word in advance that we can have faith in his word during a storm. You don't prepare for a storm in the storm. Rather, you prepare it for the storm before the storm comes. Ask yourself then today, Are you armed and acquainted with God's word? If an unexpected and intense storm struck your life tomorrow, would the Holy Spirit be able to bring back to memory passages and promises already stored up, treasured in your heart? Do you know that wherever the storm occurs, whether on the green pastures or in the valley of the shadow of death, that the good shepherd has walked before you to lead and protect you? Do you know that however dark the storms may be, God has promised never, never to leave you or forsake you? Do you know that no matter how long the storm rages on for, God is working it together for, for his glory, which includes the good of all those who love him? Do you know these promises? Do you know these passages? Are you armed and acquainted with God's word? Not only are we to exercise faith in his word, but we are also to exercise faith in his character. Throughout Matthew chapter 8, Jesus has shown his followers that he is Lord over demons and that he is Lord over diseases. And in this miracle, he is about to show them that he is Lord yet again, but Lord over nature. And before he does that, he he rebukes his disciples for not coming to him, knowing that he was able to still the storm. Do you remember what the disciples said? Lord, save us, we are perishing. And Jesus says, well, this request is little faith. Why? Because real faith would have said, Lord, we know you can. So if you're willing, save us. And amazingly, Amazingly, despite their little faith in his character, Jesus still acts. And this is the problem with these health, wealth, and prosperity churches all around our world who say you need enough faith to be healed. Rubbish. Healing depends not so much on your faith, but on God's gracious character. Because the Bible tells us that even faith as small as a mustard seed can move mountains. I'm speaking to several Americans in the room, uh, but I think all of us remember the 27th of May, 2020. Don't we? 
Anyone remember, have a guess what happened that day? <laughs> COVID shut down? No, no. It was close, but not. Well, on the 27th of May, 2020, SpaceX and NASA, do you remember, tried to launch a crew from American soil for the first time. Everything was prepared, and the news reporters were showing footage from inside the capsule. All systems go... But the launch was stopped and pushed back to another day. Perhaps that's why he got the date wrong. <laughs> I remember watching an American news reporter explaining that the launch was, was cancelled because of the weather conditions. And then she laughed and said that there is nothing anyone can do about the weather. I thought, I thought to myself, well, it's partly true. No human can change the weather. The weather is untamable. But it's also not true because someone can change the weather, the one who created it, God himself. Remember, right back to the start of our sermon, that's a continual point of praise in the Old Testament. How God alone rules the sea. Why? Because he created the sea and everything in it. We're told in the Psalms, the Lord made the storm be still and the waves of the sea were hushed. And after rebuking his disciples for their lack of faith in his character... Jesus reveals his character yet again to them by rebuking the winds and the waves. Jesus says, according to Mark 4, 39, Peace, be still. Or in our tongue, sip it and sit down. And note this, the storm and sea obeyed at once. The winds ceased. The waves hushed and the storm at sea was still. There was a great calm. Why? Because Jesus' words were powerful and effective immediately. And the disciples marvel at the end of our passage saying, What sort of man is this that even the winds and sea obey him? And the answer today, friends is he's not only a man, but he is fully God, and he is fully man. This is the true identity of Jesus. He is fully man, and he is fully God. That's why creation obeys Jesus, because it was created by him, it was created through him, and it was created for him. So when he says, sip it and sit down, they stop immediately. It's really interesting to observe how how in the book of Acts, Jesus commissions his apostles, unique time period, to, to go out and to perform miracles of all different kinds. He gives them authority to heal the sick. He gives them authority to cast out demons. He even gives them authority to, to, uh, to, to raise the dead. But only Jesus ever performed nature miracles. Only Jesus ever uh, performed um, nature miracles, causing creation to be tamed. It was only Jesus who had the authority to tell uh, creation to sip it and sit down. Why? Because he is its creator. That's the main point here. That's the statement being made in Matthew chapter 8, throughout the whole chapter, that Jesus is God. That Jesus is the Lord of the storm. And again, what a truth that we all need to hear today. Especially, 
in a world dominated by climate activists who tell us to fear because we're going to cause an irreversible chain of events that will one day cause the earth to explode. Really? I'm a good steward, not because of fear, because that's my responsibility. But I also believe that Jesus created the world and that he currently sustains the world, and one day Jesus will renew the world at his appointed time. Therefore, as disciples of Jesus, we have nothing to fear, because Jesus is the Lord of the storm, therefore we can trust him in the storm. And until that day, we exercise faith in Jesus' character. We, we, we trust his complete knowledge that has allowed the storm We believe that he has the power to help us through the storm and we affirm his goodness and love which hold on to us during the storm. And it seems to me that Jesus knowingly led his disciples into this storm to teach them that exact lesson. And maybe, even maybe, Jesus has led you into a storm to help you see clearly who he is so that your faith in him may be strengthened. And if you're not a Christian today, maybe, even just maybe, God has allowed an intense and unexpected storm to strike your life, to turn you, in a sense, on your back, to look up to him and to take hold of him as your God and as your saviour. Well, our natural reaction, we, all, we can all confess, is, is fear. But Jesus here expects faith. And then we say, well, Alex... Matthew, Jesus, it sounds like a high expectation. It's demanding. And it is. Until we realize that the faith demanded by Jesus was also modeled by Jesus. What was Jesus doing when the storm arrived? He was sleeping. Like all of us, he was exhausted after such a busy day of ministry. And that may explain why he continued to sleep during such a fierce storm. But I think that there is more to it than sheer tiredness. You see, across the Bible, those who sleep peacefully trust God almost perfectly. Psalm 3, verse 5, when King David is running away from Absalom's rebellion, he says, I lay down and slept. I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. While Peter was in prison, we read in Acts 12, verse 6, that, that he was fast asleep the night before he was meant to, be, he was meant to, he, he was meant to die for his faith in Jesus. Why? Because he trusted God's sovereign care. And the same is true of Jesus here. He slept peacefully because he, as the God-man, trusted God perfectly. He slept peacefully because he trusted God perfectly. Jesus had faith in his Father's word and in his Father's character. So he slept knowing that everything was going to be okay that day. And our Savior and our leader has gone before us so that we too can have faith amid the storm. So instead of fear, let us exercise faith. Since Jesus calmed the raging, untamable sea, how much more can he still the circumstances raging currently in your life? It's simple logic. He has done the impossible 
so he can do everything else in between. Friends, Jesus is the Lord of the storm. That's the main point here. That's Matthew's message. He is the Lord of the storm. Well, as we come to a close, what matters most really is whether or not you're in the boat with Jesus. The great Northern Irish missionary to India, Amy Carmichael, maybe some of you have heard her, penned these words. Thou art the Lord who slept on a pillow. Thou art the Lord who soothed the furious sea. What matters beating wind and tossing billow if only we are in the boat with Lee? Are you in the boat with Jesus today? Is he the captain of your life? Are you sailing the storms of life with him? And for those this morning, and there are some of you today who are not in the boat with Jesus, well, Jesus calls you to come and to follow him, to turn from everything else in your life and to trust in him completely. Trust in who he is, the savior of the world, and trust the promise that he has made to those who follow him, that of eternal life. You may even be thinking today that that no one in this world, even in this church, cares about you. But God cares. And that's why Jesus took on flesh and dwelt among us. To reveal how much God loves his people. Because God willingly sent his only son into the world to die on the cross for the sins of his people. And to prove that he accepted his, his, his perfect sacrifice on the cross. God raised his son from the dead, triumphant, three days later. So that all who trust in him have the assurance, the absolute assurance of everlasting life spent in fellowship with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And if you can hear the voice of Jesus calling you today, come to him. Like the fishermen at the shore, Mark chapter 1, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. If Jesus is speaking to you today, follow him Come, do it today. Don't delay, do it now. Come. And for those who are in the boat with Jesus, may we know every day, and especially this week, that he is the Lord of the storm. Therefore, we can trust him always in the storm. Amen. Father, we want to thank you for your word to our hearts today. Thank you for the Lord Jesus and and for for who he is, that he is your only son. He is fully God. He is fully man. And Father, we pray that all of us today may leave this place with our eyes open by the Holy Spirit through your word to understand who Jesus is. And because he is God, because he is fully God, that we we won't rebel against him and we won't turn down his offer to follow him but instead we would all follow him. Perhaps even for the first time today, O God, we ask that you may grant faith to those who are not in the boat with Jesus. 
And for the rest of us, God, increase our faith. Help us to believe even in the midst of storms. To your praise and glory we pray. Amen.